Well, Fred Burkall, who read the gospel, our deacon has recovered now from hip replacement surgery and is back in the land of the moving. Well done. Great to see you back among us too, Fred, fully. <clears throat> uh, John and Tyler and, our, and I are excited about a task we've given ourselves for the next six weeks. Coincidentally, the lectionary, that, that which is given to us for our readings, uh, will take us all the way through the, Paul's letter to the Galatians. And so we were simply, it's not really a sermon series, but we are going to be focusing on Galatians from beginning to end over the next six weeks. And invite you to have your Bibles or whatever pads you have or anything. And invite you at home as well to kind of connect with this reading to get even uh, more of this. And then give us a shot at it week to week to uh, also... Um, uh, illuminate and hopefully clarify, for it is indeed one of the great, great letters of the New Testament. Basically, the letter that Paul wrote to the churches in Galatia is written to multiple churches in that part of Asia Minor, Turkey today. Um, you could break it down very simply like this. Uh, Paul, in chapters 1 and 2, is addressing the question of authority. How do we know what to believe or whom to believe. And in chapters 3 and 4, kind of generally speaking in this general kind of outline, we'll learn of the question of salvation. How does one get right with God? Receiving forgiveness and pardon on the one hand and restoration to relationship on the other with Him and others and ourselves. And the final chapters 5 and 6 uh, will address a, the question of holiness. Your own life of wholeness under the banner of holiness. How can we get control of our self-destructive desires and live a life of love and compassion and righteousness? So the question of authority, the question of salvation, and the question of holiness. Big, worthy topics for us over these next six weeks. Now keep in mind that Paul planted these churches in Asia. He was their founding father. And as we learn in today's reading, we'll get back to that ultimately, um, so you can hear it again. Others came after Paul, who were also followers of Jesus, they said, but with a contradictory message. Uh-oh. Here there are two sets of teaching, both purporting to be true, but which were mutually exclusive. Which one of these teachings should we believe? And which teacher should we believe? Those who came after Paul said, you've had a false teaching from a false teacher in Paul. So Paul is going to rise to the occasion. He has a lot to say about this in these accusations. As regards to teaching, Paul taught this. Salvation is by grace alone, through Jesus Christ alone, by faith alone. Grace, Jesus, and faith. Those who came after him, and this teaching is still out there today in the church, is that salvation is partly a gift from God. Grace, through Jesus. But you have to keep on working and keep on trying to earn it or you will never be saved. Big difference. And Paul recognizes the stakes are very, very high. The very essence of the gospel is at stake. It happens today as well. 
we are faced with a bewildering variety of opinions, gospel opinions to choose from. They all seem to have titles and degrees after their names, seem to be scholars who are reputable and popular. They seem reasonable, their arguments. They make their points quite well. And at a minimum, we feel like they're at least more educated about the Bible than we are. They have a collar on, which means they've been to seminary, perhaps. Now there are priests or even bishops. Surely they have the gospel truth. Can't I trust what they say and what they teach as gospel truth? Who do we choose and whom do we follow? This is actually precisely the situation that led the clergy of this community, Tyler, John, Fred, and I, that led St. Paul's and her leadership and the Diocese of South Carolina to leave the Episcopal Church. Issues of false teaching from false teachers. And this morning I have a timely example of this to show you these two Gospels being preached, one contradicting the other. Now this is an illustration from only one sermon, but my point is that this is a clear, recent illustration and the reason for our distress and our desire to depart the Episcopal Church, believing that it is representative of the broad leadership base of the Episcopal Church. This happened on May 12th, so it's just three weeks ago. The presiding bishop of the Episcopal Church was preaching at a church in another country in Venezuela. Her sermon was then reported on the Episcopal News and on the web. That's the official news site of the Episcopal Church. She was preaching on this text from the book of Acts. It was part of the lectionary a few weeks ago. Acts, the 16th chapter, Paul and Silas in Philippi. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God. These men are servants of the Most High God. These men are servants of the Most High God. And who are telling you the way to be saved. Telling you the way to be saved. Telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned around and said to the Spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the Spirit left her. When the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews. They are throwing our city into an uproar. They are advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept our practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas. The magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they had been severely flogged, whipped, they were thrown into prison. It's a tough day for the gospel. After that reading had been read three weeks ago, the presiding bishop said this in one part of her sermon. Don't have time to cover all the elements of the sermon. 
But she said this about that reading. For many people, she began, it can be difficult to see God at work in the world around us, particularly if God is doing something unexpected. There are some remarkable examples of that kind of blindness in the readings we heard this morning, and slavery is wrapped up in a lot of it. Paul is annoyed at the slave girl who keeps pursuing him, telling the world that he and his companions are slaves of God. She's quite right. She's telling the same truth Paul and others claim for themselves. But Paul's annoyed, perhaps for being put in his place, and he responds by depriving her of her gift of spiritual awareness. Paul cannot abide something he won't see as beautiful or holy, so he tries to destroy it. It gets him thrown in prison. That's pretty much where he's put himself by his own refusal to recognize that she too shares in God's nature just as much as he does, maybe more so. Now, on this same Episcopal website, this is not some far-right website, and you get a whole bunch of pundits from the far right. This is the Episcopal News Service website. There were a number of comments that followed. I don't know if I have time to read them as fully as I would like. I'll have to keep my eye on the clock. But um, each one of these are instructive and informative and express some of the thoughts I have and I hope you might have if you pay attention to what she has said of this passage. One, this is from priests and lay people, and it's from men and women. Paul deprived the slave girl of her spiritual gift. What kind of Gnosticism has Mrs. Shorey tapped into here? Paul cast a demon out of the slave girl, an agent of Satan, a force of darkness, and did, did not deprive her of some spiritual gift. This is quite possibly some of the most delusional exegesis I've ever read in my life. I'm sorry, but this sermon is not a Christian sermon. Another commentator. The presiding bishop is both denying exorcism and the power of evil demonic forces, but also putting down the great apostle to the Gentiles. How can the ministry of the kingdom of God advance when its so-called proponents indulge in this most dangerous of all statements? Another responder, a woman, wow, so now slavery, especially enslavement by demonic possession, is to be considered the slave girl's gift of spiritual awareness, and it's due to the Spirit of God in her? Really? The presiding bishop's sermon goes downhill. Sad, very sad. Someone followed up and said, very, very sad sermon. How can the presiding bishop miss the point that the woman was exploited? The slave woman was in physical, spiritual, and relational bondage. She was being used for profit, and her incessant shouting was disruptive and insincere. Paul takes time to discern this, this, and through the power of prayer, she is set free. Another wrote, what kind of delusional hogwash? is being peddled here. What is holy or beautiful about demonic possession and the exploitation of a minor as was being practiced by the owners of the slave girl? More to be pitied are those who sit regularly under such satanic anointing. To them the word is, come out from among them, and the time is now. Another wrote, don't know where to start to critique it really. 
This miracle of deliverance was done in the name of Jesus Christ. It was Jesus who liberated this slave girl. How can it possibly be recast as an act of petty meanness on the part of Paul? Incredible. At his heart, error is always so cruel. It seems that if she had her way, the presiding bishop would have let this girl, left this girl in her spiritual slavery, continuing to be exploited by her handlers to, for material gain. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Charlie Jackson wrote, I'm a pretty theologically liberal Episcopalian, but this is just too much. Talk about stretching for a point. This sermon is terrible and embarrassing. You don't have to be a conservative to wonder what she could have been thinking. Another wrote, an appalling, embarrassing sermon full of biblical and theological errors. Another wrote, the real tragedy here isn't Bishop Jeffrey Shiori heterodoxy. Heterodoxy means being unorthodox or views that contradict right thinking. He goes on, the real tragedy is the complete failure of our house of bishops to deal with the situation. That's the broader picture to which I speak here myself. They have vowed the bishops of the church to guard the faith and unity of the church. And then, and they as a body have utterly failed. The real damage to the church is not the failure of one bishop. The church has survived far worse than Bishop Jeffrey Shorey, but the failure of our entire house of bishops. And I say amen to that. Let me make a few points here, brothers and sisters. This is, as I said, on the ENS Episcopal News Service website, not some ultra-conservative website in considering the responses. That gives these comments even greater validity since the comments came from simply those who follow tech in the broad path. She's caused much offense to them in this sermon. Let me make another point. This is only one example albeit a recent and a clear example of how far off the track the Episcopal Church's leadership is. This is also an illustration of how toxic the Episcopal Church has become in terms of leadership's teaching and direction. And as the last commentator commented, this issue is further compounded by the glaring silence of the entire House of Bishops regarding their leader preaching non-biblical heresy. And this is also simply one illustration I could give hundreds of why I personally could no longer remain an Episcopalian under such leadership. Back to Paul's letter to the Galatians. This is an urgent letter that Paul writes. He dispensed with any of his usual niceties, trying to bring his people to their senses and to condemn those who are perverting the gospel of Jesus Christ. Notice how it begins. First chapter, first verse. Paul, an apostle. He's being very deliberate about that. And he says more about what it means to be an apostle Sent not from men, nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father. He is claiming an authority that's higher than a Christian authority, higher than a disciple's authority, 
higher than a saint's authority, all of which we are as well. But there are only the apostles of the early church who have the rightful title of apostle. As we will learn in this book and in these first couple of chapters, he acknowledges he is as one untimely born, that the gospel came to him later than the other twelve, but that the Lord gave it to him directly. And so that's why in the sixth verse, he leaps into this. Every other letter of Paul's moves from that introduction to a prayer for the community or praise to the community or thanksgiving for who they are or a commendation for what they have accomplished. accomplished. Not here. The matter is too urgent. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Which is really no gospel at all. This gospel of diversity. This gospel of all things go. This gospel of there is nothing wrong with anybody, essentially. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion, are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ, And Paul has harsh words here. He reserves for only a few and a rare occasion in his own ministry. Even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be cursed, eternally condemned, cursed by God. As we have already said, I'll say it again. And he repeats that utterance. Let me read from a commentator, a favorite of mine about Paul's dilemma. This is John Stott, who speaks of false teachers too. He says, So the two chief characteristics of the false teachers are that they were troubling the church, number one, and number two, they were changing the gospel. These two go together. To tamper with the gospel is always to trouble the church. You cannot touch the gospel and leave the church untouched Because the church is created and lives by the gospel. Indeed, the church's greatest troublemakers now as then are not those outside who oppose, ridicule, and persecute it. The greatest troublemakers are those inside who try to change the gospel. It is they who trouble the church. And he says on the following page, The devil disturbs the church as much by error as by evil. When he cannot entice Christian people into sin, he deceives them with false doctrine. So, he sensed the urgency, not only for Paul and his circumstance, the urgency for us in our circumstances, or we would not have made such radical decisions in the past year about our separating as well from the institution called the Episcopal Church. It's because we only know one authority, it's this book, and we only know a few apostles. There are none in this century, and there's no one who stands on an equal footing with these apostles. It's not that, well, that's what Paul thought, but I think this. So Paul says this to conclude today's passage reading. We'll hear more next week. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, That the gospel I preach is not something that man made up. I did not receive it from anyone, nor was I taught it. 
Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. That is apostolic authority. And he's saying this is not just another man's opinion. I have been given an authority to preach what Christ Jesus himself has given me. So for us too, which will it be? The presiding bishops and the Episcopal churches, new teaching and new diversity, which seems to continue to um, um, bubble up here and there. Or will we stand as a community of disciples under, under the Apostle Paul and his teaching and under his apostolic authority? Joshua once said to his people as they prepared to embrace the promised land, he says, he said, choose this day whom you will serve. As for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. That's where we stand. One final comment from another blogger. He said this after writing on for many, many paragraphs. If you are still an Episcopalian, may I suggest that you, to quote the gingerbread man, run, run, run as fast as you can. John and Tyler will continue our study of Galatians week to week while I am away on vacation for the next two Sundays. John and Tyler will. We'll work to show how Paul in his letters answers these three ultimately important questions for each of us. The question of authority. What teaching do we believe and whose teaching do we believe? The question of salvation. How do I get right with God and know it in his peace? The question of holiness. How do I live a life of love? Amen.